0: Hey everybody, welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. It's episode number 183. I'm Phil with Logan and John today, and we're going to get some reader feedback on last week's episode about table saw blade sharpening, as well as uh, some just fun project updates and following where our spirit animals lead us. Special thanks. This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is presented by Epilogue Laser. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloglaser.com. All right. Now, the number of people that replied to our episode about table saw blade sharpening is kind of amazing. It's so mm-hmm. clearly, people are getting their table saw blades sharpened. In greater numbers than I think. Yep.
1: Which is funny because I had somebody else unrelated to the podcast message me and say, Hey, I know you know people in Des Moines. Is there anybody in town that sharpens table saw blades? Completely unrelated. It was just like the universe converging on the topic.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to read just a few of them here. One, Mark Carrera says... We have a local sharpening shop in Albuquerque. I have a 12-inch Freud combo blade. I take it to them about once a year. Last time they replaced four tips and sharpened the blade for about $40. Turn around in less than a week. I took a 10-inch Freud dado blade once, but forgot the cost. Uh, Howard Cooper says, just finished watching episode 182. I seldom, if ever, comment on any YouTube videos, but decided to share my experience. Also, I have watched all your YouTube videos and anticipated the future ones. In 2022, I sent two older Freud uh, 24-tooth and 50-tooth blades to Ridge Carbide to have them sharpened. Previously, I had thought that it was probably too costly. However, I decided that $18 and $22 was an acceptable price for a couple of older but quality blades. As I recall, they turned them around in about two weeks. Shipping was about $10, but probably more now. So for about 60 bucks, I have two very usable blades. As is often said, I don't realize how dull they were until I started using them after they've been sharpened. Since then, I've acquired two Ridge Carbide Blades and recently their data 8-inch dado stack. I'm looking, for, looking to use the dado blades whenever it warms up, hopefully this coming week. Dan Lender just saw Podcast 182. You do not know what you're missing. Send your blades to WD Quinn, $15 for resharpening. You will get the blade back and it will be better than new. They're a top shelf company located in the St. Louis area. Logan, while you're in St. Louis, if you want to tour their facility, I will set it up for you. Let me know. They're cheaper and better than the competition. When I was looking for a dovetail special grind blade, Forrest wanted $185 in six months. Quinn wanted 119 in three days. If I would have brought them an old blade, it would have been probably less than the 40. Hmm. There you go.
2: The one thing that I learned um, about blade sharpening is if you're getting a dado set sharpened, don't just send in the outside blades, send in the whole set because we got it changes the diameter slightly (laughs) so when I got it back it was like (laughs) "Mm, "Mm, mm, "Mm." "Mm." like (laughs) so the outside blades were uh slightly uh uh, narrower diameter than the inside blade so it made a little step effect so get them all sharpened together
0: That is true, and I think we did that here, at the shop once. Yeah, I think it, it, was,
2: it... it was the, I think it was the set at the, um, the video studio, the old video studio. Mm. So, now you know.
0: Now you know.
1: I feel like there would be a good like market there for purposefully grinding a blade mm-hmm. that way for like a locking rabbit blade.
2: Maybe we got something here,
1: huh? You know, you know, yeah, maybe. like you put a you put a side in a tenoning jig, and then you have like a stepped blade that does like the deep groove, and then the tongue mm. in one pass. Mm. Don't we mm did me. get a, a, a blade? This is
2: brilliant. What was it? The custom ground blade for the dovetail jig oh, or something? Yeah, seven degree. Grind yeah. on it, so maybe combine that somehow. custom ground dovetail dado blade. Yeah,
0: we got something here. These yeah. are all ideas. Yeah. yeah, we're opening up new realms of geometry here. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, I next thing that people are gonna be doing is making a really wide blade and then putting molding knives in it.
2: Whoa, <laughs> <The table saw. laughs> that just blew my mind.
0: I know. <laughs> I would like to know what Saw Stop's stance is on the molding head cutter. <laughs> <laughs> pure bypass mm. mode. Pure, pure bypass. You have so. to put two dado cartridges on.
1: Mm-hmm. So, kind of on this note, I had an epiphany yesterday. I was, it was actually an email that came from Woodpeckers, and I, I think I shared it with you. Maybe <laughs> it was two days ago, Phil. The dado nut. Come mm-hmm. on! Like woodpeckers released a dado. They call it the dado nut. Yeah. you're like crazy. I thought of that. Why didn't I, well,
2: I? why didn't I make them?
1: Well, yeah, I was like for years. I'm like, why are people not just like threading the flange on a table saw? Because you stack up a really wide dado blade, you can't fit the flange on with the nut, so you just end up putting just the nut on. Um, but woodpeckers, you son of bitches, you did it you did it. <laughs> crazy.
2: <laughs> it's so crazy it just might work. Did I order one?
1: Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But what, what, what I'm kind of confused about is it, it says it's four saw stop table saws. Yeah. And I think Phil discovered that our grizzly table saw has the same thread. Right. Yeah. I, would, I just I assume ass- they all had the same thread. I, I did too. I just assumed they were all like a 5 8 inch Acme type
0: yeah, five eighths, whatever pitch it is. But just yeah. and I think what threw me is seeing it on their in their description, either the description or on the webpage for it, like you said, where it was uh what it was and then for saw stop saws. And I was like, it, So does yeah, that mean like, saw like, stops are different?
1: Yeah, it's like the name. It it says like in the title it says uh, dado nut for sauced up saws. Yeah. Like, huh. Okay.
0: Yeah. Because, oh. like I said, I previously I would have been like, yeah, they're all the same. It's just five eighths. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know? So you got one? I ordered one. Back on yeah. Yeah. We'll see. All right. So now, normally for these podcasts, Logan, you are out in your workshop. And Irishman out... took it over. Yeah, you're not out there <laughs> as today.
1: No, no. We had Pat Carroll in. We, I still have him in. Uh, he's here. <laughs> uh, filming our TV show and some classes this week. So he is currently out in the shop grinding away at a uh, couple of parts for some demonstrations that he has scheduled this weekend. So, All right. so I could sit out there. And I've been out there most of the morning with him, but can't really record a podcast with a ratter going zing, zing, <laughs> zing. <laughs> so
2: I think that you yeah. can scrub that out. Yeah, and probably. Post. Yeah,
1: fix it in post. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. All right. So I have uh, discovered something about a project that I made late last year. Okay. And this is it. I'll put a photo of it on the show notes page. But what it is is a little stand that's designed to hold my wireless charger for my phone and then my phone on top of it. And then to be on the cabinet next to my bed so that I can use Apple's standby mode. So it gives it like the old school alarm clock kind of look which I thought would be kind of cool. And the stand actually looks and works pretty well. I'm really happy with it. The only thing that I've discovered is that I noticed that my morning alarms weren't working. And then after a little bit of digging, realized that that's a kind of a known common problem for the standby mode is that, hmm. Uh, it either disables your f- alarm, like one time I woke up just a couple minutes before my alarm, was looking at the phone to see what the time was, and then my alarm came up just like for half a second and then went away. Hmm. Like it automatically canceled it. So, I mean, part of the reason of having an alarm clock is to have an alarm. Right. So that you can wait. Not That's just, just a my clock. wife, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So at first I thought it was a design issue that because of how much I have it leaning, like, is that leaning too far back that it wasn't quite in standby mode. And so I was experimenting whether I needed to trim it so that it would be a little bit more upright. That's not the reason. So it's actually, actually not on me this time, which is kind of fun. So I'm trying Mm -hmm. to decide whether it's a project success or failure In the sense that I made it, but it doesn't really work the way it should. Yeah.
1: Well, it's kind of like John and I's wagon wheel we made. The wagon wheel spinner.
2: Was that a success
1: or a failure? We made it. It worked great, but they never used it. Right. Yeah.
2: We learned so much, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did we? Did we? we,
2: (laughs) The next time we need to make a wagon wheel spinner, (laughs) we're going to be that much (laughs) better off for it.
1: (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. Ugh. I think the sucker I feel like it was part is like, the... like Thanksgiving break, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the other sucker part about the wagon wheel spinner is the fact that it looked amazing and should have been a big crowd draw, but instead mm-hmm. was just a waste of some really, really good reclaimed redwood because it never got yeah. used. Because you had those what? They were like six by six? Yeah, something. They were huge. And and I, I picked the nice
1: ones that didn't I mean they had a few holes in them, but I picked like the nicest ones that like were the longest sections of no holes. Yeah. <sighs> think we get that back? Well, Dennis, you think Dennis Voles will bring that back for me?
2: I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it would make Probably. a really good at least parts for um. Like a trebuchet or catapult or something. It would. It has to look for it. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's like we keep talking about like a trebuchet build or something. Mm -hmm. I feel like that just needs to happen, John. Like, if you can just make it happen, that would be great.
2: I feel like Chris has it in the bank somewhere. He's just not sharing it with us (laughs) because it's like we're irresponsible. I mean, something. he's not we wrong. I mean, I don't yeah. Know. No, I was saying, I mean, you know. <laughs> it's like when we get a little bit older, grow up a little bit, <laughs> he'll
0: bring it out. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, because we is. would like launch Apples and see if we could get them like over the top of Ingersoll or something like that. Or... Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Put it on the roof of the yeah. Mediacom building or something. Yeah.
1: I'd always, I've always wanted to like put one up on my deck and just launch squirrels. Like you bait it with birdseed and then you just launch the squirrels. Like, I mean, <laughs> if you throw them into the trees, they're gonna catch themselves, right? Yeah, they'll but be. You're fine. not actually they, gonna hurt. Squirrels them. always
2: land on their feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're resilient like that. Yeah, they actually enjoy it.
1: <laughs> They get to vicariously become
2: flying squirrels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I didn't realize we have flying squirrels in Iowa, like Northern Iowa. Yeah. We were really? out uh, mess, messing around in a timber up in Northeast Iowa. One time mushroom hunting and, uh, screw around. And we like pushed over a, a dead tree and like a flying squirrel just flew out of it and just flew to the next tree. It's like, Whoa, I didn't know here. And I looked
0: it up. Yeah. There's, there's some in Northern Iowa. So, but somebody told me that flying squirrels are actually one of the most numerous squirrels in Wisconsin but you just don't see them because they're not really nocturnal but like mm-hmm. in the evenings what is that cre- crepuscular or something like that you're living way ahead of me Phil <laughs> I got
1: nothing on that yeah So, get this. This is per the Iowa DNR. Flying squirrels live statewide in Iowa, but seeing them is a whole different story. These tiny squirrels are strictly nocturnal, and when they sleep, they hide in tree cavities, making it difficult to catch a glimpse of them. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And during the winter, as many as 20 flying squirrels will huddle up in the same hole uh, to stay Warm. warm. Yeah, because so oh, if guys. you find one, you're gonna find a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really say. It doesn't really say um, the size of them. Yeah, but they're the most carnivorous squirrel.
2: Whoa! Look out!
1: They eat insects, invertebrates, eggs, birds, uh, n- nestlings, and carrion.
0: Nestlings, that's I, yeah. Wow. There's a
1: there's a new fear that I did not know I had.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. A, nest,
1: a nest of 20 carnivorous squirrels. Oh God. <laughs> uh, uh, Do they attack and into your tree? Then? Then?
0: That's I, I
1: don't know. Climbing into your tree stand in the, you know, five AM and then all of a sudden and attacked by vicious fanged mm-hmm. squirrels.
0: Mm -hmm. They're the Velociraptor of the sky. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say like Iowa's Uh, Chupacabra, but maybe, maybe that's Mm -hmm. not far enough.
1: Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. That's cool. I mean, I knew we had them, but just not like, not that, that we had them. Right. Well, I knew they were here. I didn't know they lived in my own backyard. Oh, that's funny. It's funny. It is funny. uh, Having Pat here for the week, you know, it, it's interesting. Wood turning's wood turning wherever you go. But the thing that changes is the people and the geography. And it's funny, you know, I'll be making breakfast and Pat will just be standing at my back window for like an hour. And I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm watching a squirrel." <laughs> what? He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "This is He's like, "This is a joy to me." He's like, "It just we don't have them." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Wait till you see a turkey. Your mind's going to be blown." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: it was pretty cool to have him here. Like we were talking about during, cause he f- was here to film an episode of the TV show and to do a couple of classes with us. Yep. Uh, and obviously woodworking is a very personal craft in the sense that you develop unique ways of doing the same thing that other people are doing, but there's always a little twist on it and, And especially for somebody like Pat who turns as much as he does, I was surprised at how fast he was on things without it making look like he was fast. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about, he was rounding over rounding some blanks and it was just like, and it was round. Mm -hmm. And, and I know he's using regular turning tools and I'm usually using carbide tools, uh, you know and i would say you're a pretty talented turner also logan but like he's faster than you and it was just amazing to watch
1: oh yeah oh yeah well yeah and there's there's definitely a yeah there's definitely a, a different level of turning between somebody like pat and myself or jimmy and myself and i mean even yeah I think Pat would go as far as to say there's a difference in level between like Jimmy and him, you know? Uh, I mean, just the, the different level and, you know, Pat spent the last, you know, decade or two demonstrating all over the world. So it's like you do one of those demonstrations, you know, 45 times you get real quick at it. Real, you know what I mean? It's like, It's like the old uh, talking about people doing hand cut dovetail demonstrations at the woodworking shows. It's like, you know, yeah, you you can have somebody like, I don't know, you know, one of these guys that are masters of dovetails and they can cut a a drawer, a drawer's worth of dovetails in three minutes. Right. You know, so. It's it's one of those things, repetition. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty cool. Well, yeah. and, and Pat's a very artistic guy as well. So some of the things he brings into wood turning, um, you know, with patinas and, you know, different, you know, he turned some um, appliques for one of the shields of, you know, and for a class we did. And you know, he, it has decorative daggers on it. And so like he, he glues those together and turns those two at a time. Um, right. And there's split turnings at that point. Uh, you know, it's just some of that stuff is really cool. And it's, it's the outside the box type stuff um and some of his really intricate stuff isn't necessarily intricate from like a turning standpoint and I think I think Pat would would say this as well there are there are turners that are very very um technical with their turning technical with their shapes um right. and then there are turners that aren't as technically sound with their shapes, but make up for it with their other stuff they do. And I think Pat would put himself in that, in that category where he does a lot of stuff after the turning happens. So,
0: oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. The other thing that I noticed is and I don't know why it's two things that stood out to me. One was he used a very small number of tools for the stuff that he was doing turning tools. You know, he did a lot with what I would say is a relatively narrow spindle gouge. Yeah. Like that was his primary tool. And then only then went to what, maybe two others, you know, and I don't know if that's because he was traveling. So he's just not, Bringing along a full kit, but, or that's just his, his style either. I think, I think you get to a level of
1: turning and (laughs) you guys know me. I I have way more crap than is necessary. So like my, (laughs) my, my selection of turning tools is massive right now. But like, if you watch, if you watch a lot of these turners, like Jimmy does all of his turning with five tools you know, anything Jimmy does is generally with five tools. Um, Pat, same way, you know, maybe five tools. You look at somebody like Richard Raffin, he does everything with a half inch spindle gouge. He turns all his bowls with a half inch spindle gouge. Yeah. Like he does stuff with spindle gouge that you're not supposed to do with spindle gouge. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's probably a combination of a, knowing how to use the tools, knowing what the, the what the limitations of said tool is, And also probably a little bit of efficiency. Like I'm traveling. I'm not going to bring a bunch of tools or I'm in my shop. I want to get this done. I'm only going to have five tools. I'll just make it work, you know, because I don't want to go walk over to my tool cabinet, buy another or grab another tool. Um, And then, you know, from like somebody like Richard Raffin or Mike Mahoney's standpoint, it's that they're production turners. So it's like the more I have to switch tools, the less money I'm making in a day.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. The other thing that I noticed, and maybe it's not entirely accurate, but I was surprised at how often he readjusted the tool rest and how close he had the tool rest to the work. Yep. Like, there were times where it felt like the tool rest was just, you know, millimeters away.
1: Like you need to sharpen that tool rest if you're going to use it that close. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of that is also a function of what you're doing because there is yeah. a point where the tool rest is too close, especially if your tool's writing on the bevel on right. the tool rest. Um, but yeah yeah there's there's a lot of little micro adjustments and depending on what you're doing and yeah
0: yeah, so it's just interesting to see because it seems like there's other turners that I've watched where you know over the course of a project, once you obviously when you take a goofy shaped piece and then round it, you know then there you've changed the size dramatically, but he wasn't changing there wasn't a huge difference in size of the workpiece, but just the way he was going or, you know, the next stages of yeah. cuts, he just kept bringing that thing closer and closer. Special thanks. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is presented by Epilogue Laser. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. Anything you noticed there, John? No, I'm still like stuck
2: on. Uh, Logan mentioned
0: Master
2: of Dovetails a little bit ago, and I'm just like reminiscing. I think I had some of the Masters of Dovetails action figures when I was a kid, <laughs> like ma- Manny chisels and saw arms. <laughs> so I've just been thinking about that while you guys have been talking about yeah. turning, yeah. Did you guys have those or
1: nope, I didn't <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't.
2: <laughs> um so that's what I've been thinking about.
1: This is why mm-hmm. we don't get invited to
2: the family reunions, John. <laughs> <laughs> this is like why sometimes I'm not on the podcast. I'm suspended <laughs> with pay.
0: <laughs> it's like you just you just take the
2: day off. The the adults yeah. have to talk,
0: you know. We're gonna yeah give you a little time out uh yeah Yeah. I think
1: Phil missed John's most interesting moment of the turning week oh yeah uh, (laughs) it the the most interesting so okay so I have to sympathize with John because so we were I don't remember what Pat was doing I don't know I don't remember what he was doing he was doing something that was a lot of cutting I don't remember what he was doing either (laughs) we know you don't because you were snoring yeah (laughs) So it went, whatever Pat was doing, oh, he, John sat down, he, John slated and he sat down on the futon and was kind of watching. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden our, our director Bailey and I look at each other and we're like, what is that noise? And we look back at John snoring on the futon. <laughs> now I will tell you, mm-hmm. if I have fall asleep sitting on my couch, mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, I have wood turning on TV because it's just the sound of a gouge cutting wood at the lathe is like white noise Mm -hmm. to a baby and it just knocks me out and it was it was it was fantastic
2: it was the perfect moment for the week yeah and when bailey said cut like i popped up and i was like was i snoring (laughs) (laughs) we're like oh yeah Yeah. you were It's kind of like when you're driving and you just like I'm just gonna close my eyes for a second and then right pretty soon it's, you're a-, like, oh. Where am I? <laughs> it's a straight road. <laughs> yeah. Oh man.
1: Oh. Uh, yeah. You know, while we're on the while we're on the subject of turning, I think I've come. I think Pat has convinced me, and I've come to terms with the fact that the Koenig lathe has to go. Oh, really? I think, I know, I know. Yeah. Okay. Because I bought the Powermatic that we had in our shop. It's a nice heavy lathe. And if I was, if I get to a point where I really want to start inviting people to come out here and teach, he's like, w- if you were paying for a class, would you be happy getting stuck on that Koenig? I'm like, well, I would, cause I think it's cool, but I get your point. Like, and he's he's like, how long has it been? He's like, you sent me a picture of that Koenig four months ago when you first put it in your shop. He's like, have you used it since? And I'm like, you're not wrong, and I'm mad it's not about a fair it. Fair question. Not wrong. <laughs> so, I think for a space thing, I need to. I just I need to let it go. It, it's not, but it's it's also an accurate question, and I think yeah. that. It's one of those things I just need to say, okay, you're right. I probably don't need that lathe because it is the lightest duty of the
0: lathes I have. Okay. So just to refresh us, what? Yeah. what is it about the Koenig lathes? Because if you were to walk into your shop and see all the different lathes that you have going there, Other than, I mean, do you still have one of the small Deltas? I do. I do. uh, It's sold.
1: I'm delivering it to a guy next Friday. But yeah, it's still in there.
0: Yeah. So you have several, what I would call, full-size lathes. And to somebody just, you know, to John and I walking into into your shop, it's not like doing a quick survey you'd be able to go and be like, that's the one that's the most deficient. So what is it about the Koenig that is, I mean, it probably does whatever it was designed to do well, but it's not what you're looking for, right?
1: Yeah. It it doesn't have a big motor on it. Okay. That's the biggest drawback on it. It has a three-quarter horse motor, whereas my Vicmark and the Powermatic both have three horse motors. Okay. So... It is that that lathe is really designed as a spindle lathe um, okay so it is designed to do you know uh rungs for chairs or for you know spindles for for a railing stuff like that that's what that lathe is really designed for and that's just not the type of turning that i really like um i had i, had, I was kind of excited about the spiraling attachments because i'm like i can really do some cool stuff with you know like vases or whatever but the more i started looking at it i'm like the swing is so small on it like i couldn't do a real big like fluted bowl um the you're you're stuck into the rotation of the the pulleys that you have which is only one i mean one size so i can't change the pitch of the rotation so i was like you know if i can sell it and get you know 600 bucks out of that lathe which i think it's worth every bit i actually think it's probably worth you know, much more than that, but that's what I'll, that's what I, you know, I don't, I don't ever try to, you know, rip people off. Um, I think that's a very good price on that lathe. So I think for that price, I can buy an aftermarket spiraling attachment for one of the other lathes. Okay. And have it be, um, more useful to me in my shop. Um, you know, is it a cool old lathe? Yeah, but it's kind of like that weird, like, it's like the Pinto of the car world, of the lathe world. You know what I mean? Like the, because it's not old enough to be a classic. It's not like a vintage American lathe yet, right? Right. Yeah. It's like a weird like late 70s, early 80s lathe where stuff was kind of... People were trying to kind of figure out what the new lathe market would be. Um,
0: so, yeah, it's, it's just... It's the AMC Pacer.
1: Yes. Yes. So, you know, and there's, there's centers, there's a center steady on it. And again, it's one of those, if I, you know, if I get a couple hundred bucks out of it, uh, or several hundred bucks out of it, you know, it's like, okay, I'll buy a bigger center steady for one of my bigger lathes and it's very low. So it's actually not very comfortable for me to turn at. I've turned a few things really? at it. Um, I yeah. have, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's much lower. It's, it's probably a good eight inches lower than the Powermatic or the Vicmark. Oh, so it'd be really good for like somebody like Phil's height, you know? Wow, <laughs> but don't wow. Talk, about,
2: talk about going <laughs> low.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Jeez. Sorry, no. I'm just twist Phil my and and are like the same height down a little bit. I know. Yeah, that's the yeah. funny yeah. part. Phil and I are like the same height, so I just think
0: it's funny that I somebody
1: know. somebody classified Phil. From the TV show, is the short one? It's I'm the like, short,
0: we're, yeah. we're the same height, it's, yeah. Not we're the, the same not height. Not the host so or the guy with the sideburns <laughs> or
2: <laughs> mm, nothing else. No,
0: no,
1: it's the short <laughs> it's one. It's the short
2: one. It's your whole personality. <laughs> yep.
1: Yep. Oh my god. Oh, but anyways, no. Uh, it's just it's a little shorter. Um, so you know, uh, I'm bringing Pat to the des moines wood turners tomorrow for demos Uh, he has one in the morning and the one in the afternoon tomorrow so i'm gonna uh let stan know hey i'm gonna send you some pictures to see if see if i can at least find somebody local that's interested in it because i feel like somebody in the turners would be like hey yeah that's that seems like that'd be cool yeah like i think i I was gonna say i felt like it wasn't a burly lathe oh it's not i think for actually for like The construction of it, it's actually a really rigid little lathe for how it's constructed um, because Mm -hmm. most most modern lathes are going to have a cast iron bed and then there will be hardened steel ways on it. The nicer lathes like the Powermatic and the Vicmark have really like thick, like one inch thick ways on them. This one, instead of having cast iron ways, it has like extruded steel ways. Okay. So they're like tubes. Um, but it's really rigid for what it is. Um, yeah. now again, you're not, it's a, it's what I'm classifying as a spindle lathe because it doesn't have a huge swing. It maybe will sp- swing a 10 inch piece of wood, right? Um, but so you don't need a ton of weight there because spindles generally aren't that out of balance. Um, but it's, it, I mean, it, it's German engineering, man. It's like, it's like, you, the epitome of German engineering. So I'm hoping that I find somebody that would be like, Hey, this is really cool and find that and has the time to really experiment and play with it and be like, look at the cool stuff that this can do. I, I hope I find somebody to buy it and they send me pictures of what they've done with it. And I'll be like, Oh, I should have kept it. That's, that's my (laughs) ideal situation. So, but I mean, for example, it's, it's light enough that Pat and I lifted each end of it and set it on a set of rolling carts. You know, it's not oh. that Powermatic. Pat and I got it into my shop yesterday, and the bed on that thing has to weigh 400 pounds. Right. Without the legs. I mean, the entire, the entire lathe is 850 pounds. It's, it's, it's heavy. Um, I mean, one of the legs on this Powermatic weighs the same amount as this Koenig. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, cuz I don't, you know, not being a turner, it's hard to look at a lathe and know what what you're looking at or know what you're not seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, that Powermatic leg- lathe,
2: did we get that from Powermatic when we started the TV show? Was that uh, one of the original tools? Yes. And it yeah. sat sat on the pallet in the in there for Ten, twelve, years probably until you started Logan because we didn't still um, do any turning,
1: yeah, it was in place in the editor shop, I think
2: because I just feel like it, maybe it was like nobody did any turning, and it sat in back no. in that corner.
0: I feel like it was on the still on the pallet, the same thing with that big uh, uh, the bandsaw the, the 15 inch bandsaw too mm-hmm. it might it
1: might have been um. I mean, yeah, I have. Which is funny because when I started working on that lathe, it wasn't very long after I started turning that I realized that the the power switches were going out on it, the on off switches. Mm. (laughs) So I have it's like all hot wired, and I think it's the VFD actually going out. I've Mm. I've done a little research on people that have those early two thousands Powermatics, and it sounds like it's the VFD going, starting to go. But yeah, I I mean, I think I probably have used that lathe tenfold more than anybody else. Um, Just because, again, nobody turned and I was like, hey, this is something I'm really interested in. Um, So that's when I started using it. Um, I mean, it's not if you ask. There's a there's a gentleman that owns a lathe manufacturing company uh, up in the northern part of the US. I'm not going to name the name. I've talked to him several times and he has said, he's like, that's the worst lathe ever made. Whoa. And he said, "Now, now he is, he is the manufacturer of a very high end lathe. Okay. Right. Um, he does say that the Powermatic uh, 2020 or 2035, this little bit smaller version is a great lathe. And he, he'll say that he just, he doesn't, he's not a fan of that big lathe and there are quirks about it. And I will 100% say that there are quirks about it. And I think the electronics are probably the, the weak point of it. Um, but for what I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to set it up as my, my hollowing lathe. I'm going to put the hollowing system on it and not take it off because it's kind of a pain in the butt to, to get tuned up and, you know, running how I want it to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm going to have to order a new VFD, which is, I don't know if I want to go down the, the, we've talked about the VFDs i put on my other stuff um on other podcasts i don't know if i want to go down like the because there's some certain parameters with if there's a potentiometer to control the speed there's a forward and reverse switch um and all of that stuff needs pre-programmed and you have to be able to hook it up to the right spot on the vfd because there's a row of terminals with different letters on there oh yeah i just i just don't know if i want to mess with that i think i would rather just you know, for my time and not stressing about it, just say, okay, I'm going to grab the VFD from Powermatic. It's going to be, you know, 850 bucks, and just replace it, get it back to how it would have been right. when, I, when I first started using it before I broke it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if you're going to use it for demos and... Yeah you know, teaching, because the last thing you want to do is to have to go through a student and be like, okay, now you're working on this lathe. Let me tell you how you start it. First, you have to... (laughs) that's right. Prime the gas. Prime the gas. Pull the choke. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Up, down, up, down. B-A-B-A.
1: That's right. Yep. Well, and actually, as far as I know, no, that... That lathe was, it was not on the pallet when I started, but I don't think it was very far off of it because somebody yeah. had disconnected the remote on off switch. Cause there's a, there's a secondary magnetic switch that you could put like towards the tailstock. Oh, so like yeah, if yeah. you're hollowing, you can have an on off switch right next to you instead of the headstock. Um, yeah. that's always been disconnected since, since I had used oh. that lathe. So, okay. which, you know, we would never disconnect an emergency stop button ever. So, never. Why would you even think about that? I don't know. It's a safety feature; you need to have it. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I think you could put one of those like treadmill clips on it. <laughs> and then, like, if you get sucked <laughs> in the label they'll disconnect and shut off. <laughs> so, it's funny.
1: We were uh, Pat and I were talking this morning as as we were you know having coffee and stuff. He's like he was. He's been he's been sending his his daughter back in ireland the pictures of the the tv set and stuff and I, I forwarded him the picture of all of us with pat um this morning and he sent it to him and he she's she was so excited because phil had a plaid shirt on and she's like it's really like tool time <laughs> like the tv show she's like they really wear plaid and then we were we were talking about um the Tool Time Show, and there was an ep. There was one episode where they had a lathe on the show, and I, uh, I think Al or Tim was standing next to the lathe, and somebody turned it on, and it rips his shirt off. Yeah. I mean, it just like boom, it's yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, the exercise clip. That's a genius idea, though. Mm-hmm. Yep, you just need mm-hmm. to have a way to have it spin down and stop real quick. Which made me think of, it. like, what would lathe stop look like? Saw stop, but just for a lathe. <laughs> no, it's oh, late. man. Hmm. I think the whole thing would flip over.
1: I will be yeah. interested, on that note, I will be interested to see it. I know, I know that Saw Stop is working on developing other machinery. Um,
0: yeah. I've heard so that. They're, they're, but...
1: Yeah so they're looking to bring their saw stop type type technology into other other machines i don't know if they're band saws i don't know if they're joiners i don't know what they are um yeah but I'd be interested to see what that mechanism looks like kind of like kind of like you're saying for a lathe like is it going to be a cartridge like a saw stop like a table saw i don't i would think you'd be able to find a way to do it
0: yeah but It'd be like being able to find a way like to do to it see. without destroying the machine. Yeah. yeah.
2: I could I could have used a belt sander stop before. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, same way.
1: Same thing. And those hurt too. Yeah. Like braiding away a part of your skin. I've done that.
2: Yeah. I did that There's the no sti- stitching up like a, <laughs> yeah, it's a sanding right. burn. No.
1: <laughs> it's, it's like pre-conferenced. You just got to
2: patch it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man,
2: yeah.
1: Yup. Oh man. No, I mean because like, like the big Laguna bandsaw in the shop that has a foot brake on it, which I really, really like. I don't know that yep. I will ever have a bandsaw other than the big Crescent that that doesn't have a foot break. It is so nice, especially if your hands are if you're holding a piece down you tap the foot brake, there's a, there's a, um, little toggle switch in there. So when you hit the brake with your foot, yeah. Yeah. The micro switch shuts this off. Um, and you can stop that soft fairly quickly with that. So I would assume like some form of like disc brake type thing, like old bicycle brake, you know, would, would do it. I would think, um, I don't know how you'd stop like a jointer, you know, or, a yeah. You know, the one the one that I would like to see would be a router table break.
0: Hmm. Okay. I mean you'd have to have a dedicated spindle in it, I would think then. But Yeah, you couldn't use a router. You'd have to you'd have to have a spindle. Yeah.
1: But yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It might be ten years right. down the road. But I know Maybe. I know that there's big big development team
0: there that's working on it. Yeah. All right, I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have any comments about turning or lathes or what you look for in a lathe, uh, I'd love to hear about it. You can put that in the comments section on our YouTube channel or send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Special thanks to Epilogue Laser for sponsoring today's show. They have a variety of products that will help you customize your woodworking projects, and uh, especially if you have it as a side hustle or regular hustle in fact, to uh, help you make unique products to sell. You can check it out at epilogelaser.com. Special thanks to the people who subscribe to Shop Notes Magazine, Popular Woodworking, and Woodsmith Magazine. You're the ones that make it possible for us to do this podcast. And thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye.